Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. We got to go to Moss Tacos Puerto Rico. Have any of you been there? I, I think I was there a long time ago. It's a uh, pretty good place. And I think There's right always a line. There's ages. always a line, but it's really good. That's pretty much always a place. It's like the Pinks of, of Nashville, isn't it? The what? Uh, oh, Pink, Pink's is that famous oh. hot dog place in Los Angeles. It's always oh. stretched out around the okay. corner with the line. Maybe. Yeah. And it's right across the street from another place that's really popular called The Pharmacy. Although, it's like, that's more of an indoor restaurant. Uh, West is hungry. But yeah, we got there in time for dinner. Went straight to the Ryman from there. He started, and we left by 11 p.m. So, and it was, it was, it's the first time in a long time I've been to something where it's mainly men. I just feel like, so every, no matter what I go to, I feel like there's more women than men. Really? And, um, well, that is completely obvious. <laughs> yeah, this was yeah, a promise keeper in the conversation. <laughs> it was, it was, now there were men with like their significant others. Uh-huh. And there were, I mean, there were some, it wasn't like there weren't any women, but it was, most of the stuff I go to was almost always women. Captain Von does tend to attract that, I do find I that he saw, tends to attract that audience more often than they not. But I have seen making efforts to branch out a little bit into the um, you know, demographic and seems to be working. Um, I thought I saw it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It was good. And then he had a surprise band come on at the end. Band? Uh, yeah. Who loves who loves country music? Oh, okay. um, and it was a local national band. And some other people. So I don't think she's coming to this tonight. Who? Okay. Uh, Joey. Oh, okay. Um, what was the band that Adrienne was? Those are her kids. Huh? And she's hanging out with those are her kids. Oh, they are. Yeah. Okay. I knew Jesse would, but I, yeah. I just glanced in there and saw the people with him, so. Priscilla's. What was the name of the band that played at Jordan Peterson's talk? Oh, I haven't. I can't uh, Oh, they were great. The, the guitarist was 21 years old. Insane. He was, he was doing the old tricks. He was playing the guitar with his teeth. Uh. <laughs> Behind his back. And, like, doing stuff that is just, like, impossible. What? Like, in a couple of years, you could see him being Hendrix-esque. Like, this guy is that good. I mean, I'm not, like, this guy was incredible. Yeah. So, it's fun. Country and Western with a hard rock edge. Yeah. So, big, yeah, stand, big stand-up like, bass. So, not pop country. Is that what no, 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 no. It was, it was the old country, but with, like, Nickelback. No. no. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I said hard rock. I didn't say soft rock. <laughs> There's no curse around here, man. <laughs> you know that foul language. You'll say Creed next, right? <laughs> yeah, Creed no. is a good segue yeah. for this book. Ouch. <laughs> they are, if you remember. They're fantastic. <clears throat> okay. Let's um, close this book out.
because this has been, what, this is week three in this, and we've got through the first two thirds of the book. Thinking we could kind of, you know, well, all, all of this is organic, of course, but it's kind of been my, you know, way of closing out this book. Just kind of walk through the last part of the narrative and what happened, but then like, look at the book, you know, from afar, right? And, and in reflection, because we kind of set it up here a few weeks ago in terms of what it was going to look like going forward. And obviously you, you walk into a book and we all carry assumptions of what that's going to look like moving forward, right? And it's it's good to look at a book in hindsight too and kind of say, okay, what, what were those things that I might have assumed that this was going to be like or what is the path or the road that I paved through this book? No pun intended, right? But the road that I paved through this book looks like, and and what what held up in that, and yeah. what did it. So, um, in this last third of this book, any initial impressions, thoughts, poems, <laughs> poetry, yeah, the lyrics. I did my part. I was wondering what the deal was with the thumb. You know, all it said was it was some kind of communal thing. That the, oh, that the guy came out and that they found uh, that took all their stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, y'all, but I think that was a reference to a kind of either cannibalistic activity or something related to an initiation ritual in that context of the commune group. And then, like, what, what was you could tell them. It is what it was right after the kid and the man and the kid lost their stuff on the beach, and then the oh, guy the that they found, guy? yeah, the thief, he had his hands, his fingers cut off, which oh. was a sign that he was in that commune. Yeah. So I think it's some sort of signifying factor, either cannibalistic or ritualistic. I can't remember which. I I wondered if it was an indication that he was a thief and he'd been. He'd been caught before. I, I took it as he'd been caught before, and it was like, you know, <clears throat> sort of like the Islamic world. You know, that you're a thief. We're going to show everybody. You're going to have this mark, you know, so to speak. It's a bit of an eye for an eye, tooth yeah. for a tooth. What was one? This is the guy who took all their stuff. Yeah, and they caught up to him, and he said something about. Come, Son who's from a communal group or something. I can't remember. Sure, comment that. So somebody had morals. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, some kind of morals. Yep. To uh, to or, to brand that guy in that way, if that was the case. Or they were eating him. There's that. There's that. One finger at a time. Not the best choice though. So not much meat on that. Not much meat on the finger. <laughs> pickled human's fingers. Pickled, pickled, yeah. Pickled, pickled, oh, okay. <clears throat> so this book has made me have bad enough friends as it is. So obviously this, you know, looking at this book, right, we closed out last session, the man basically realized that he was dying, right? I think it's on page 180... 83. In fact, the boy, I think, starts to recognize this too. The boy wakes up from a dream and he says, I was crying, but you didn't wake up. The man says, I'm sorry, I was just so tired. And the boy said, I meant in the dream. 
right? Mm -hmm. But just earlier, like, the man realized that he was dying, and so we're kind of going to walk into this phase, this last third of life, which I think, I think the way that he kind of sections this out, here, the beginning of the road, in the middle of the road, and the end of the road, is you're recognizing you're going to be walking through as he starts to cough and stuff like that, and yeah. starts to get, you know, that gets more severe, and, and he's coming to terms with his own mortality, and recognizing, like, he's going to end up leaving his son behind, and what that looks like, obviously that's a, that's a big metaphor for our own lives as we walk through the last third of our lives. And so I think it's just an interesting way that he kind of paints, paints this and some of the fears that the man has and the way that the boy is reckon, you know, wrestling with what's going on. Um, like yeah, and the next page, some, uh, this is like, to me was like one of the most significant portions was um, like 184. I'll just read a piece of it where the kid says, there are other good guys who said so. Yes. Mm -hmm. So where are they? Mm -hmm. Well, they're hiding. Well, who are they hiding from? From each other. And there's lots of them? We don't know. But some, some, yes. Is that true? Yes, that's true. But it might not be true. Well, I think it's true. Okay. You don't believe me. I believe you. Okay. I always believe you. I don't think so. Yes, I do. I have to. And I, I jotted in there that this is like the whole like Catch-22 paradox of the father's philosophy is that he is all, we can't stay. We have, we, have, we have to move on, we have to hide, we have to protect ourselves. And I was like, there's no more society if that's all you can do. And, and so the kid, I hope I'm not jumping too far ahead, but so at the, at the end, the kid is like, the kid stands in, in the road and says, and waits for someone to approach him. And it's like that, that's all of society. That's, that's me doing this right now. This is me not knowing you and not being comfortable with this. And, but there's, if you don't take that risk, you, you never have a society. You never have a fellowship. Yeah. So that really stood out to me. Well, that was kind of giving me some hopes in the senior that he wasn't going to be able to do it. Yeah. That was, that was the boy's only way to to get on is to prepare him to uh, you know that he wasn't going to be good. Yeah, yeah. Like his his way of kind of paving the road for his future after he's gone. Yeah. Do you think that we see an evolution in the father's beliefs or convictions or hope in this story? My sense early on is that he's like, it is just the two of us. We're the only good guys. Everybody else is dangerous and a bad guy. And then we see him continually, like in this last part of this book, after he's recognizing that he's dying, continually pushing, there are other people, you know? There are, there are other good guys. We don't know where they are. They're hiding, but there are good people. And he kind of goes back and forth with his son. I'm just wondering, you know, is there a change in the father's 
Seems, uh, seems almost like there's a, a change precipitated by desperation, but then he maybe starts to believe it at some point. Um, I think that starts to happen maybe most for him after the thief runs. Uh, he's starting to maybe look down the barrel of his own mortality, and then you can see it in his language over and over again. Is like. Yeah, no, this is, it's going to be okay, there are other people, you know, he, he kind of throws out those phrases throughout the rest of the book, and um, but also it seems like he's, he's almost doing it half for himself, half for the future of the boy, and it's like, then by the end it's almost like he's, he's hanging on to the hope that he's created for him, for both of them. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think it's know. almost like a, it's almost the way he ends up coping with his own death. It's yeah. like, how am I going to send my son into this world other than to choose to believe that goodness might find him somehow? Yeah. Not even that, like, I mean, I guess in some sense he's convinced just because he has to be convinced in order to even die. Yeah. But, like, it just seems like that's, it's almost his only option in having the son and having him in the world. Yeah. You can't. You can't. He can't exist on his own. He's, he's going to have to have somebody, and so it's almost like we I, I taught you to hide away from people, but now you're going to have you're going to have to engage, you know, and you're going to have to trust that there's some good people out there. And I hope that I've taught you the bad, so in the good, what to look for, find someone kind of like me with qualities that I have, and you know. But there's this notion maybe of. of of trying, like, he, like you said, you're saying, he doesn't have an option here. <clears throat> he has to. The kid has to engage. He has to find. Yeah. Well, that option for survival, because I mean, I think there could be another option, and that is to say, I am your only safety. Without me, without you having me, and without me having you, and you get the sense that, you know, if it wasn't for the son, you know, the father would have gone ahead and killed oh, yeah. himself early on, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't tell the boy or communicate to the boy that I'm going, so you should go ahead and, and end it yourself either, you know? You, you can go on without me. And I think that might be and too... Yeah. I think that might be too... Because he's so uh, repelled by his wife's death and this her choice. Like I think right. that's probably in the back of his mind the whole time and not wanting that for his son, you know. And then also I think he says a I think he says several times, you know, something like I'm like I have to believe that in the same way that the boy said he has to believe him. Um, I don't know if he says that directly, but it's some similar things like he's gotta believe it. He's or he's gotta he's yeah, it's almost like that the conversations go back and forth and it's almost like subtextually he's saying I, well I you know I think it is I hope it is and then like inside it's, it's almost like he's saying I, it's, I got no other choice but to believe that this, this might be this might be way too much and I might be completely <coughs> off base here I'm just going to throw this out um, but if we looked at it in a literary perspective of the boy is the 
good parts of the father that the father can't entertain because he is in survival mode. And so he can't even allow himself to have these thoughts at home because he has to keep everything moving along. But the boy is the part of the father the father really wants to have and the, the things that are good to have, but he, he, but he, can't, he can't have them himself. And so, but at the end, it's almost like this notion that at the end, the, that part of you won't survive. The only part of you that will survive is, is, is the good. The, the other stuff will, will die off. And if you cultivated the good well enough, maybe, maybe there's hope. You know, and that there's this notion of like, I have to get the hope to this part. I have to get this part. It's, it's almost like this, it's, I don't know, I feel like it could be almost the father and son are one character for, for, for a while, you know. And then the father dies off, and then that's what's left is the is the good the father always always hoped for and always wanted to, wanted to survive. It's just yeah, I think we see that in the conversation that they have, little conversation, the back and forth they have while they while they're taking their stuff back from the thief. Um, it's like you can see that the the father wants to do what the boy says. Part of him wants to do what the boy says and like not leave the man to die, but at the same time he's like, no, I, I have to do this because he took our stuff and then you know this is what he did to us and it's like he's he's like he's like bound to this eye for an eye you know thing almost seemingly like, like unwillingly I mean, like being dragged along by it, but that part of him that's the boy is is fighting at the same time uh, as he's kind of just basically. Stripping the guy of all of his, all that he has. So, do you, along with that theory, do you feel that he is nurturing that in the boy, or is he not able to nurture that in the boy because he's trying to get done what needs to be done? No, I I think he's so. If 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 I'm looking at this, I'm saying that he's he's nurturing it when he can, with the ability he can, but he's letting it grow on its own sort of he's yeah, I don't know if you've, there's, there's all these memes you see but there's, there's the, the meme of, of uh, a father holding a shield over the sun taking all or like taking all the arrows or whatever you know like it's the world here's coming you know fathers taking all that and the kids behind them just you know oblivious <coughs> to all that's going on it's almost like the father's taking on the, the brunt of this fallout world and all the hardships he's taking all of the responsibility on, yet showing the, the child kindness and trying to be the best father he can be and allowing the child to grow up not having to have that entire weight on him, which allows there to be a little more room for, it's almost like the father has no bandwidth for anything else but survival. Here are the steps to survive. I can't break the protocol because if I break the protocol, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know if I do these five things or this whatever, we get to survive. And so the boy gets to, his mind gets to wonder. When you think about it, so let's think about this in, in society. We didn't come into to self-actualization to, into enlightenment until like the 15th, you know, 15th century. It's because people, they were worried about survival, just worried about getting to the next meal. And so contemplation. And the larger group. Yeah, yeah, as, 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 a, as a whole. Yeah, like, like as, as that wasn't something that was because you were just like, I need to live. Um, I'm not worried about whether I have self-esteem or not. I, I, I want to put food in my belly. And so it could be that kind of thing that we're, we're seeing here, that this, 
the, the generations before us handle a, a, a great brunt of, of, of that responsibility. And once they do that, it allows the generations behind to grow a little bit into what the hope that the, the generation before had. They get to grow a little bit into that. And maybe if that son has a child and he's able to to withstand a little bit more and cultivate more joy and more hope in that, maybe then you start to see a culture. I don't know, I'm just... I would just think that he, he did break the protocol of the survival when they found that flare gun and uh, they were going to use it for fireworks as some sort of celebration. I mean, and when you do that, I mean, that's going to alert other people around you that they're there. Yeah. Yeah. So what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. That is very cool. I was, I was like, that's just like, what? Is it? Sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I guess sometimes it's worth a risk. I mean, the joy, really, in the midst of yeah. yeah, and had to be giving his son something enjoyable, right? which also probably goes to further the theory that he is in small ways throughout the whole time we're training him. And trying to bring his innocence to fruition. I think, I think there's little things throughout the book where you see him become very exposed in in a very hostile place. And one of those is that. I think the other one is is the beach, right? When they get to the beach and the boy wants to go down to the water and he strips himself naked and he goes to play in the water. And I think that's a really beautiful scene because after this whole walk through you know months and months and months if not years you know journeying this road they get to the beach and they're sorely disappointed but what does it say about the boy like it says that he was jumping and splashing and croaking say what then the only time that he's really been able to be just a kid yeah play and that's but, not a super safe place, I imagine. But play is so important in the human psyche. And you know what is interesting, too, after, like after he played, he came back and he was upset. And it's almost, just, that I read that as he got to enjoy childhood for a minute and then the world came crashing back down on him and he's almost like he didn't want to go back to yeah. childhood again because of the reality that that's not where he is, like, exists. Yeah, yeah. It's like, he said that struggle a little bit later after they started going back up the beach and they got attacked by the one guy and father got his leg injured and they're hiding out in the warehouse and um, it's one conversation they have. They spent the day there sitting among the boxes and crates. Yeah, you have to talk to me, he said. I'm talking. Are you sure? I'm talking now. Do you want me to tell you a story? No. Why not? The boy looked at him and looked away. Why not? Those stories are not true. They don't have to be true. They're stories. 
Yes, but in the stories, we're always helping people, and we don't help people. Why don't you tell me a story? I don't want to. Okay. I don't have any stories to tell. You can tell me a story about yourself. You already know all the stories about me. You were there. Uh, you have stories inside that I don't know about. You mean like dreams? Like dreams. Or just things that you think about. Yeah, the stories are supposed to be happy. They don't have to be. You always tell happy stories. You don't have any happy ones? They're more like real life. But my stories are not. Your stories are not. No. The man watched him. Real life is pretty bad. What do you think? Well, I think we're still here. A lot of bad things have happened, but we're still here. Yeah. You don't think that's so great? That's okay. Just not realizing the sun's outlook is that bleak because of all he's ever known his entire life. I remember the father of Anne Frank when they published her journals, him reading through them, and I think the BBC later did, you know, 15 years after that, did some interview with them, and they said, well, what was it like for you to read these journals? What, what is this? Anne Frank. Oh, Anne Frank. His, yeah, her father, Otto. And he said, he said, the girl in the journals was not the girl that I knew. And he said, that's terrifying to me because you never, you never really know what's inside your own, your own child. You know, and you got these diaries, it's this self-confession of this girl, but then she's got this life over here. And that, I mean, in that, in that situation, we were very close quarters the whole time. You know, it's like, how do you not know the internal world of your child, you know, and like that, that's what that makes me think of, is like, how do you, how do you not, you know, when, if you were to ask your own kids, right, what are your stories, how would that compare, contrast with your own expectations of what their stories I think it would be shocking. I mean, just just sometimes even, you know, being married 18 years and, and then somebody brings up a thought and you're like, oh, that's, you know, you could have that. I, I, thought I, I thought I knew you. That's that's a thought I didn't think you were capable of having. I mean, after 18 years. Um, is there a specific thing? <laughs> yeah, this is really interesting all of a sudden. <laughs> no. Well, let's experiment. Why um, don't those of you with kids try this out and uh, tell, tell us what you like? Yeah, I mean, sometimes our kids will say things to us that are like, I didn't. Like, sometimes they're so deep on so many levels, and other times they're extremely shallow because they're 11, but they, they vacillate between those the depth and, and, and the shallowness of, of their consciousness. And it's just very interesting to, to see that. And to. To your point, Mary, my, I've noticed this in my own life. There's a reason why we self-sabotage. is because it's almost an element of control, right? You sabotage because I know how to get over this pain that comes with, say, you know, break up. I'm going to listen to Tony Braxton for, you know, a year. And I'm going to, I'm going to self-soothe 
And I'm gonna next relationship, I'm gonna self-sabotage because I know how to listen to Tony Brax and I know how to go through that and I know what to expect. But what if it's successful? I don't know the danger of having love and losing it on another level. It could be catastrophic to me, so I stay to the point where I self-sabotage so that I always know what I'm getting. The boy going into the and going out to play and then being upset was he didn't realize how freeing and how, how wonderful the joy was of play. That is terrifying because mm -hmm. It's being ripped away now. Will he ever get that back? And if he gets it back, what will you do with that when it gets ripped away? It's almost, it's almost better to never have played than to have that moment um, of, of, of that. So it's the struggle of a lot of artists too. I find myself doing that a lot, like just like putting something out there and then realizing that it's junk, and, <laughs> and then yes. having that having that like feedback and realizing, oh, this is total crap. I've got to re redo all of this stuff. But you know. You gotta still push through because every now and then you actually don't have something that's total grab and, and right, and then it actually works. But it's uh, you know you know the pain of the pain of quitting early is is temptingly <coughs> less than than like getting through the end and realizing oh man I thought I was building a stegosaurus but really it's a <laughs> triceratops and like having to reconstruct the whole thing all all over again. Better to have loved uh, and lost than never to have loved. There you go. There it is. So one of the questions as well, just to kind of finish off the narrative in this book that we that we kind of posed last time was about dying well. In mm -hmm. that a lot of a lot of the ancient world, some of the other writings of the ancient world, focused on death because somebody pointed out, you know, sometime in the past couple of weeks, like, you know, this, this, we don't, we don't grapple with this kind of world on a daily basis, right? In fact, we, we live in a world where in the past two centuries, right, infant mortality has decreased exorbitantly, right? We, in general, go in and have babies and, and it's a, it's, it's an anomaly almost if, if the baby doesn't make it, right? Or a mother dies in childbirth or something like that, right? But in, an old, in the old world, that's what they had to deal with on a regular basis in terms of the expectations. Or, yeah, I thought, man, like, you know, the life expectancy of settlers and stuff like that in the new world, I'd be like, lucky to get this far, right? So the old world had to deal with death in a very real way. We live in a modern society, which is what Ernst Becker calls shaped, shaped by the denial the denial of that, or heroism, right, or hero heroics, right, where our focuses, our, our daily focuses, self-transcendence rather than things like self-survival, you know, and so we, we don't, we don't wrestle with these questions anymore, so our questions perpetually are how do we live well, not how do we die well, but I think this book forces us to look at this in a different way on the road, how do we die well? What do you think about the father in the, in the context of that question? So let me just back up. So you're saying your day-to-day -day life is not seeing infants on spits over fires? Is that that's not your no, day-to-day no, no. experience? Okay, just wanted to check. That was, that was the most horrifying thing I've read in a long, long time. It was a rough one. We basically didn't discussion. even talk about it. Oh, man. That's awful. But that is a very interesting question. Like, 
And there have been cultures where that was something that you saw. So this is why they had all the fairy tales that they had before that had were all so steeped in, in death and things and and we're like there were so morbid it's like no you you had to learn at an early age that, that death was coming and you had to know how to deal with it and so how do you deal with it? You know, ashes to ashes, you know, we all fall down. They had all these little nursery rhymes and Grimm's fairy tales and things that kids learn. Even uh, uh, Little Red Riding Hood, right? In the original, she dies. Like the wolf eats the grandmother and, and Little Red Riding Hood. And so, but, so what, <coughs> to your point, Randy, what you see now, you see Little Red Riding Hood now, and guess what? She beats the wolf, she, she saves grandma, she does all this because it's living well, not dying well. And we've missed, we, we missed the opportunity to, to discuss those things. And uh, yeah, it's been at a disservice, I think, uh, for us. Now, it's, like I said, it's the nature of, of our life in the fact that I think it, what it was up until 1850s, the mortality rate just where everybody was just tragic. And now we, it's, like you say, it's, we have to deal with obesity and we're dying from diseases caused by you know, too much. <laughs> it, it would be it would be very strange for you to be in a, a family where you didn't lose an immediate family. Oh yeah. Whether that's a brother or sister or mother or father. Exactly. And yes. now that is that's that's the anomaly. Yeah. It seems like it's just brought up a thought that I had when I was watching. <clears throat> One of the reasons I stopped watching Doctor Who a while ago. This is gonna sound really weird is that the characters of Doctor Who were addicted to life. Um, the primary purpose of the Doctor in that show, I don't know how many of y'all know about it, but essentially there's this time-traveling alien that goes around and tries to save people's lives. And his primary purpose is to preserve life for as long as possible. That's his main goal. Um, and sometimes at the expense of happiness, almost, and and, and it's uh, is interesting as I was watching that show, I kind of stopped wanting to watch it because I was like, the doctor has one agenda, and that is preservation, mm -hmm. and it's nothing else. Mm -hmm. um, it's not flourishing, and sometimes flourishing, to my mind. I don't know if this makes me weird, but to my mind, sometimes flourishing does not mean living very long. Right. Um, and it just means living living well and dying well. But that's probably weird for most people to think. I just, I don't know. It's, it's not, that's been less of a question for me than, than maybe most people. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, just, I think about, I think about how, how I would like to die more than maybe most people do. And I don't I don't know. It doesn't bother me very much. But by sword. That would be ideal actually. There, there's two movies that come to mind when you're talking about this. One is or a TV shows The Highlander. You talk about losing you losing your head, like you know the, the quickening. Um, they live, you know, forever until someone takes their head. And actually at the, there's some of the times that I've watched in the episodes where the person was like, Thank you. Yeah. I, I, have, I have been living for, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred years, please, you know, I, I, I need to die. And then in uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean, if you remember um, Jeffrey Rush's character, uh, he, he was like, we, we, we have life, 
but the food is ash, and we can't, and it's like, I, when he got, we shot, he's like, thank you, like, this was, I actually can taste food again, this, and so that the expense of preservation, it's not flourishing, it's just the extension of almost, it's almost like the undead, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a sense. I mean, what did Tolkien call death for men? Uh, Iluvatar's gift to me mm, yes. was death, another uh, mortality. And I think that's, I don't know, I think that's really poignant and something you often forget about. But, yeah. So a friend and I were having this conversation about how the word blessing is uh, has been cheapened mm, yes. and we look at the good things these are our blessings but what about when you are going through the trials mm -hmm. and <clears throat> these are the things that make you who you are and these are the, the what dictates who you decide to be and why do we not call them blessings because they're painful right and so I'm thinking like just listening to y'all's conversation and going that's that is like these mini deaths that make us mm. who we are. They're the blessing. I mean, not I'm not saying you know that a good cup of coffee is not a blessing too, maybe, <laughs> but but we, our society has done this to us. And I think like for me, as a Christ follower, I want to take back what this is, what this means. And yeah, I don't want to share with you my tragedy either. But if I'm not brave enough to do that then I don't get to share with you like the depth of what either God did or the choices that I made that are making me who I am. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, it's so good because I was just, I've been doing a lot of uh, studying Genesis lately and there's actually a, a word study on blessing. And like originally at the very beginning, the first few chapters, it's like basically on par with abundance and, and, and multiplication almost. And then as you go... Throughout, you can see how the author crafts it so that actually what you see is that if I'm going to bless you and turn you into a, a great nation actually means I'm taking you to the pit of hell and then out of it. Mm. And like that, that blessing that he gives the people of Israel is like so, it's, it's just so backwards when you look at it in, in the linear space of time. Then when you look at it down again, you know, it's like, Jacob is Jacob's like dying, you know, dying like, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna bless me. No, slavery. And then, no, he does. He uses that <clears> to bring <throat> out the blessing and then bring it back into the promised land. It's, it's lots yeah, of tremendous. refining. Yuna mm -hmm. says, the thing that you most want is the place you most don't want to look. The thing you most need is in the place that you don't want to look because that's you have to go into the belly of the beast, you have to go in. So uh, Peterson brings up this thing. He said, he said in Pinocchio, he goes, there, there's an archetype that, that we have that's one of the oldest archetypes in the world. Pinocchio, Pinocchio says, why was Geppetto in the belly of a whale? Like, and no one questioned it. Like, it's weird. A whale swallows Geppetto. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't make sense, but we accept it because it's an archetype of, you have to be willing to go into the belly of the beast to resurrect the ancient spirit of your father. And you go, well, that's because it's all throughout everyone. It's, it's in the dark caverns where you have to look eye to eye. You have to be on Dagobah and be Luke staring at Vader. You know, you, you have to do this because there's something in there that unlocks it. That is you, another version of you that, that has to be unlocked if you want to yeah. grow. Yeah. You have to die. Yeah. Dark night of the soul. Dark night of the yeah. soul, yes. All that. 
Joel is forcing me to read The Art of War, uh, the, the War of Art, which is fantastic. So it's Stephen, Stephen Pressfield. And he is saying... Phenomenal. It is crazy good. So he, Stephen Pressfield is saying, what we are, when you want to make something, that resistance that comes at you, yes. here's the name, like naming all the resistance. And if you don't go in and meet it, it will just keep killing like your soul and yep. the more resistance there is the more you better run towards the resistance because that's who, what your essence is that's what your purpose in life is and i was like why am i reading this right now it's a very roman way of yeah <laughs> the romans were all about you know you don't get glory sitting on your butt you get glory yeah. you know yeah. doing the hard stuff right yeah, yeah. it's so inspiring <clears throat> that means you get a role you know a rock uphill, you know, for, for 10 miles, you know, and that brings you glory, you know, put on your shoes and go do it, you know, and it's like, our, our one thing I, I do want to say is like the modern world, just kind of coming off some of the things that you guys are saying is like, the modern world, I think, lives with this contradiction of, it wants the Pinocchio that's turned human, it, it wants the Jacob that's gone through the slavery and now the other end. He wants the end result of all the wisdom that death brings and suffering and pain brings. But yet we spend so much energy trying to eliminate the pain and the suffering and, and the little deaths that, you know, I think, I think wisdom would tell us are the necessary preconditions to that wisdom. And it's like, how, how do we live in a modern world that says let's let's find a way to have our cake and eat it too. You know, let's be wise without yeah. this. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, all right. Um, I I guess I'm just like really. There's a lot in me that's really like stirred up, especially as I was finishing this book. I think I I cried my eyes out when the father passed away. Yeah. And. In my own life, I think I I grew up in the church, and it didn't mean a ton to me growing up. I mean, it was just kind of like what my family did. And then in college, I'd say, you know, I really individuated a lot and kind of like made my own faith. But I was also like in a more charismatic stream of Christianity, I would say, for most of my 20s. I'm 29 right now. Um, and so I think... I think my conception of God was kind of like your how you describe blessings, where it's like it wasn't it wasn't exactly just like this really shallow word of faith thing, but it was definitely like there was definitely this pretty implicit <clears throat> connotation of like the the presence of God in my life means X, Y, or Z in terms of like certain bad things not happening or good things happening or whatever. And so like a couple years ago, like a couple years ago when a lot of really terrible things happened surrounding my life and not even like not this level terrible it's just like you know th things enough to burst my theological bubble it was like mm -hmm. i was like a total wreck and like more or less have been for the past couple years and so like i'm finishing this book and the last thing the father says is goodness will find the little boy it always has it will again mm -hmm. and i was so pissed i was like so <laughs> mad because i was just like are you kidding me like your boy might get eaten by a cannibal tomorrow. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't... Goodness will find the boy. Like, that other boy they saw might be dead already. Like, what are you talking about? 
And so I find myself in this position of like really needing a much more robust perspective of goodness, but like having a really hard time constructing one for whatever reason. Um, and so I guess I would just like love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I mean, I know you touched on it some just with like, you know, we have to get over this shallow idea of like blessings mean like, you know, everything with our bank accounts goes well and we get to eat great food and like, you know, it's like, what's that? What's that? I mean, I'm, I'm open to it. I just like, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just like reading this book. I feel like this is how I try to engage with these things in my own life. It's like I find them in literature somewhere. And I just like, I just get so like engrossed in it and just like wrestle with it so much that way. Um, and really find myself doing that in this book and not really like to some conclusion, but just like, I'm just pissed that I read this book <laughs> and that the father says you it's called the most stupid thing to say. You called it. And yeah, I don't know. And so like there's part of me that's like, yeah, he's right. But like there's another part of me that's like, no, that's like the dumbest thing you could have said. Like, yeah. you know? Yeah, I hear you. I, I find that, I find that often, it often feels like platitudes almost, uh, you know, when, when people, when, especially when people say that, when people say that in literature sometimes it gets me really riled. I'm like, it'll all work out in the end. I'm like, hmm. say so what now? Let's, let's, let's examine that. Um, yeah, and it's, it's really frustrating sometimes. I'll you know, I'll sort of back down to that in a little bit. I need to formulate this thought a little bit more. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, and, and uh, I have gone through similar things, but I need to, I need to stew on it before I respond. <laughs> I, uh, I had a theory on, on the last four or five pages that I shared with Ruth. I said, well, clearly his editor said, yo, Carmack, baby, I love it, but um, you got to do something about this ending. Yeah, yeah. Come on, work with me here. So that's, and then that's, they died. Uh, that's, that's how it originally ended, right? Right. That's not right. Now that, um, yeah, I, I feel what you're, what you're saying a lot because... Is this a trauma group or is this a is this a, is this a book is this a book club? I mean, I'm, I'm joking, kind of not, because I've heard several people talk about the rough stuff that they've gone through, and I personally, just not to get deep into testimony, but personally, I've spent like the last forty years. Um, you guys just got done with the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I just got off of like 30 years of being in the world of Tashland. Okay? And then 10 years, or a little over, a little over a decade, of me being the dwarves saying, Oof. The, Come on. Saying, yeah. mm -hmm. um, the dwarves are for the dwarves. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to be tricked again. Nobody's fool. I'm not. I'm not going to get fooled again. And I keep smacking my nose up against the uh, 
that imaginary stable door, you know, that I can't get out of. So I think that, and I'm, I'm still not there, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, like, how, what, how, how is that true for the, the baby on the spit? You know, how, how is this, and it, this only works out because the author wrote it, but the baby on the spit, nor its parents, were not the main characters of this story. Maybe the answer is that we only get told our own stories, you know. So that's Aslan, <coughs> right? That's Aslan. Yeah. But, so there's a lot of struggle and you know, stuff. The question, I mean, I think that brings questions of what's what's our purpose, though, which is what all of us struggle with at some point or another. And was there a reason for that baby on the spit to be in this world? Or, you know, was there a reason they lived as long as they lived and that's the way made it to that family? And I was thinking, like, the reason I said the hiding place is because there's this, and these guys, half of these guys know this part of the story, the hiding place. Have you guys read the hiding place? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you'll know. Uh, there's this part where, uh, do you know what the story is? The hiding place is about Cory Sandboom, her family, it's a real story. They hid Jews during the war. Um, and then they were all either died in concentration camps or soon thereafter, except for Cory Sandboom, who went on to write books and travel the world, preaching forgiveness and love. But um, her sister Betsy was some kind of crazy saint of a woman. And, you know, they get to this. Ravensbrook, and they discover there are fleas all over their mattresses, and it's like the worst thing that could have ever happened outside of all the other things that are going on. And Betsy's like, you know, the Bible says we should thank him in all circumstances, so let's thank God for the fleas. And Corey's like, uh, yeah, no, I can't do that. And, and uh, she says it again, and Corey's like, all right, thank you, God, for the fleas. And, you know, later on, what happens is uh, they are able to minister to the women in this these barracks, and the soldiers never come around, which they usually do. And, you know, you're not allowed to have a Bible, or you're not allowed to be proselytizing or anything like that. And um, in the end, you Betsy's so excited. She's like, guess what? I found out they don't come to our barracks, and we get to preach the gospel to everyone, and there's peace and love and joy here because of the fleas. And, um, and, you know, it's like we were talking about blessings, what are actual blessings, and, you know, what we look at as blessings. Um, sometimes, yes, those are blessings, but, you know, the fleas for a blessing. And, um, and you know, I look to people when I struggle, and sometimes it doesn't help, but still I think about them. I think about the Betsy Tenbooms who were able to look at the Nazi soldier beating the prisoner and feel pity for the Nazi soldier, not so much for the prisoner because that Nazi was so filled with hate they don't even know the love of God. And that's what she felt pity for them for, you know, and she and that was a continuing theme throughout that book was who do we feel, who should we pity, and, um, and what are the real blessings here? And so that's why, again, a lot of people know this about me, but why I look to those, those are like my role models in history. And the books I read quite frequently are the ones that are like, who are the ones that they live in the darkness with honor and nobility and goodness. Um, it's like dying a good death, but instead they're, it's like they're living death day to day and they're doing it well. 
those are my inspirations whenever I feel completely lost. Mine's not a theory, but I, I agree with you. I agree with the, the way he ended that line, but I also agree with you. And I think, like, that I love it, I hate it, is the response that Cormac is, is looking for his reader to recognize, you know? Because I think anybody that reads that last line and is like, oh, well, why didn't we have a happy ending here? <laughs> you know, it's like, clearly you were not paying attention to this book, right? But I think anybody that also gets to <clears throat> this book and instead of this line reads, I hope you'll survive, you might not, and this is farewell. That probably would be more realistic in terms of the world, you know? Like, I think we all know the boy's not gonna be all right, you know, long-term. Like, however he lives, the rest of the world is burned to ashes, right? And the likelihood, I mean, it'd be like walking into Auschwitz, you know, and being like, well, we'll, we'll get out of here, you know? It's like, well, maybe you will, but you, you can't yeah. go in with that, you know, that expectation, because the likelihood is not. And I, you know, I think, Joel, just what you were saying about, like, is this a trauma group or is this a book club? I mean, all of us have had different traumas in our life, you know, small traumas and stuff like that. Um, and I, I, one of the reasons why I, I chose this book was because of the conversation that it has with trauma and death and the questions, because the reality is anybody that's ever lost a kid knows that your next kid that comes along is going to be a big blessing that you also live in the day with fear that you're going to lose your second one, you know? Um, most of you know my story enough to know I lost my wife. And, you know, year, many years later, I'm remarried again, but there's not a day that goes by that I don't fear the same thing, you know? Or my kids, you know? And... The question for me, when my mind goes there, though, is that's where logically I can stop, and and logically should stop, because the fact is, eventually, we all die, you know? Now, it might be 50 years down the line, and I might die in a nursing home, right? Or it could be something else, it could be cancer, or April might die before me, or one of my kids, you know? There's that question of, is that where, I, should I follow the logic and the rationality there, or should I be the kind of father who looks at his kids and says, it, it doesn't follow the logic that says there is goodness in the world, you know? You don't have to live every day in fear. I don't have to live every day in fear. Now, that's not, let's not be stupid and say, like, everything's going to be all right, you know? Because you can't say that in life. You can't say that as a case of Auschwitz, you know? But I think you can't, I think part of this book is saying you, as a human, it's not to be fully human. You can't 
never give up hope, I guess. Even in the face of everything against it. Bonhoeffer used to talk about when he was, in his, when he was uh, I don't know if anybody knows Peter Bonhoeffer, who he was, but sitting in the prison, in Nazi prisons, you know, and he was executed by the Nazis, you know, like a couple weeks before he died, he wrote about the, the necessity of optimism in all, in the light of everything that's country. Because to not be optimistic was to resign to death, to resign yourself to evil, to resign yourself to death and say, it's, it's conquered every part of me. Um, and I think at least here, he's saying like, I'm not gonna let this world, ashes as it is, conquer the one last thing that I have, right? Like, yeah. uh, what, what did uh, Victor Frank will say? Like, the last freedom, you know? The last freedom yeah. that cannot be taken away is man's ability to choose the outlook that he has in yeah. any given situation. Mandela said something similar. And of course, at the end of the day, like, this is where I think, like, God <laughs> comes in too, right? Yeah. And faith has to come in. And, you know, why you want to also be like, you know, want that part to be in the story. And I think it's, I think it's there in a very subliminal kind of way. But it, it seems. I'm going to throw off here. Might might be off base, but if you take it back to the beginning where, where he talks about how he doesn't know if, if that if the boy's not the word of God, he doesn't know what else. To do. Um, throughout the entire book, the boy's outlook is love and mercy, despite the hell that he lives in, and and you can almost see other people flirting with that love and mercy. As they, as the, as you go through, it's like even that crazy dude in the middle who was just saying absolute nonsense, like was tempted at one point I think by his love and mercy, and then the other like the thief again, love and mercy, and then the father constantly love and mercy over and over again, and then he says at the end, you know, doesn't find you, and and I wonder, I wonder if McCormack is all, is kind of making a point that. If the boy is, if the boy is he's kind of calling the boy the word of God, love <coughs> will out. Mm -hmm. um, that love will eventually attract um, and will change hearts and minds, or will draw others to you who share that love and like that kind of repetition. That there, there are other good people out there. Because um, I think I would think I should, you know, like. About what you're saying, really, is so true, and um, and then what y'all were saying earlier is about dying a good death because we all are gonna die, um, and and if you just if I feel like when I accept that reality, when I accept that death is gonna come for all of us, uh, and I just kind of let it wash over me, what all that really is left is how well do I love with the time that I'm given? And even, I can stand with that even in the face of nihilism. Yeah. Um, so, that's, that's uh, for me, that gives me a lot of hope.
think there's a. They basically in the gray movie of Liam Neeson. Right? There's that scene at the end of end of it, right, where these wolves are basically this big metaphor for death, right, and and the pain and trauma that he's he felt in his life. I won't spoil too much there, but you know, at the end of it all, you see him confront the wolf, right, and it's like it's <laughs> the back leader. All the other wolves leave, and it's just him and death, and. What does he do? He knows he's gonna die, right? There's no like, I'm gonna make it out of here. That was the false hope that they had initially early on in this movie. It's a great movie to watch. They're all trying to figure out how to get to safety and they realize fully, you know, as the movie goes along that it's just not gonna happen. But this wolf comes for him and he, he, he quotes that poem, right? In the fray, I fight, you know, something along those lines, like, you know, he put wraps glass bottles around his hand, and the last scene that you see in the movie is like him and the wolf going at each other. Right? Right. And I think that that's something that I think you see here in these kind of proclamations and these endings, which is like, death won't take me, the worst of things won't take me in the way that they want to take me. You know, I'm, I may resign myself to fact that I'll die and the whole world will burn up in ashes but should we not go out protesting fighting as much as we accept it yeah. you know in confronting our own mortality do we even as Christians have a obligation and this is a question do we as Christians have an obligation to to resist death on some level or whatever death brings I just want to point out the juxtaposition between the music in the background and the in-depth of our conversation is hilarious. I just, it's like this epic. Um, well, I, so you're talking, uh, Harry Potter popped into my mind. The, the, uh, the, so with the Deathly Hollows, the three brothers. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The two tried to escape death and tried to overcome death and wound up succumbing to it in, in brutal ways. And, and yet the third one came to death and he met as an old friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think of that, and this is why I think it's so... Some of our, some of our I think maybe some of our Western ideas of death come from the... Come from this notion that Christ has overcome death, and since we're since Western society is rooted in Judeo-Christian values, that we're that maybe this thing of death wears your sting, grave wears your victory, is this notion of of yeah, that death has been done away with, which is the greatest it's the greatest thought that ever you know that we can have. We we know this mortality is coming, and Christ is like, you don't have to, you don't have to suffer that. You can you can follow me. However, we've tried to subvert that and say, well, maybe I can become immortal on my own. You know, that's what science is trying to So maybe there's some, some blurring and some lines uh, in there as well. But yeah, meet, meeting death as an old friend uh, it is, I think, the way, I don't know, the, the, way, the way that I would like to, to walk into death is, is uh, at least in this life, not the second death, you know, the first one. I mean, how did Christ walk to death? Yeah. You know? Stephen, you know, Father, forgive them. Yeah, that's. I think about that and go that that would be to have that kind of just the, the clarity just to go. And this is 
this, you know, forgive them. Because <laughs> you, the, the notion is to, to snarl and become beast-like and try to, like, you know, try to, try to stave it off and survive. But, you know, some people went into, mentioned this many times, went into Auschwitz praising God as they went into the gas chambers and stuff. And you go, well, would, would I be able to, would I have that kind of courage, that nobility to, to look at death in the eye and go, that's all right, it's fine. You know, I just shudder to think of, of wilting away and, and cowardice from that. There's a bit of like a, a middle finger towards death in that way as you're walking towards it, you know? Yeah. It's like, I'm not, I'm not running, you know? I mean, the whole, you know, uh, Ukraine and Russia thing, right? It's like, you'll see our faces, you know, when you kill us, not our backs. Yeah. Know? And that's, I don't know. Yeah. Here's a random, I, I don't think anyone's talked about this. I don't know why it stood out to me so much when he's going through the boat. Um, and he finds the brass sextant <laughs> and uh, says, he was struck by the beauty of it, and um, he held it to his eye and turned the wheel. It was the first thing he'd seen in a long time that stirred him. And I just thought that was really interesting. Like, yeah, they've pilfered like a million different things over the years, and that was the thing that stirred him, this beautiful little brass object. Yeah. There's probably some metaphor there in the sextant imagery too, just the, the compass in, in a way, you know, pointing the way down the yeah. Possibly a hundred years old, he mentions too, mm -hmm. so like the history of it and what was a yeah. hundred years ago, what it was used for. When it's not the, cans of peaches. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. When the world was right. Alright, any final take 20? Any final thoughts, observations? Yeah, I just want to pray about it. <laughs> you know. This is a deeply, this is what I would call a deeply human book. Yeah. Just like Chandler's List is a deeply human film, you know. And you don't, you don't just turn that on, you know. And you don't just pick this book and books like this up, you know. Um, there's got to be an intentionality there to confront things. Say what? I still haven't watched that. Yeah, don't don't watch it right after this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. Don't watch it before you go to bed. Yeah. And I think it's it's deeply human because it, it makes us wrestle with not things up here, you know, or even things in kind of the tertiary parts of our life, but the yeah. the, the the very deep things that trouble us when we think about them, mm -hmm. um, or when we encounter them, or when we go through them, and you know. And I think, I think me as a parent, I would encourage anybody like to put this book away for a while. But you know, whether you're a parent, you know, or you will become a parent at some point, like to pick this one up again at some point and see it from a different perspective. You know, to be to be a father. Um, I think you can also read it from the lens of being a son too, because we all look, you know, at our parents and. And, you know, my parents now have entered their last third phase of yeah. life. And, you know, I'm starting to wrestle with, in fact, I went home for Christmas and I was like, I gotta get a picture with them. I don't have a lot of pictures with my parents, yeah. strangely enough, but I don't know which one will be my last, you know, and I wanted to do that. And, but as a father, you know, 
when you, when you have kids or a mother, you know, I think that you read through the parents' perspective some as well, and, you know, how do you pass on those parts of you, and, like, with some, some of those books you were saying, Wes, too, about, like, shielding, you know, making the mistakes and stuff like that, or shielding some of the pain and decisions of, of the world so that your kids don't have to is also kind of a theme that's here. It's, it's like, I know that this will ultimately destroy me and maybe even soulish parts of me. Yeah. I will kill so that you don't have to, yeah. you know. Um, I'll compromise my innocence so that you don't have to. And there I think we see even some theological yeah. aspects of taking on corruption, taking on sin, taking on death. It's there. So the innocence can live. For the sun. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good, yeah, because the last conversation I had with my dad was about tomatoes. And that was the last conversation. And I ended and didn't know, I was like, alright. I'll talk to him again and then that's it. And that was 2006. So, but he, he lives on through stories. He said, I, I quote a ton of the stories all the time to the kids, and that's, that's where he lives on. So, yeah. We have another book about death coming in that book. Were you going to say something? I just agreeing with what he says. My mom died when I, I just figured out I was pregnant with Matthew, my younger son. Mm. Mm. And so he never knew his grandma. Same, same with me. My mom's mom died when she was 18, seven years before I was born. And so my only knowledge of my biological maternal grandmother is through mom's stories. Yeah. You know. Both my, my boys have done the same thing I did. They went to their grandpa's wedding to his second wife. So they, they've known a grandma. It just wasn't the biological one. And now my dad... Had a stroke a week ago Sunday. He's been in the hospital. They're going to be moving, moving him to a nursing home tomorrow. He had to be very adamant that he did not want a feeding tube or anything like that. He keeps failing the swallow test. And they're letting him, they pulled out the NG tube now. They're letting him go, you know, with him knowing that yeah. you could aspirate, you could drown or whatever, you could swallow wrong and such. He's like, I can live with that. He's 92 and a half, almost 93, has had prostate cancer for almost 10 years. Nice. Every time I've seen him in the last few years, he's seen more and more frail and stuff like that. Mentally, he's still there, but his body is just failing on him. It's, it's giving out on him, and so we're having to say goodbye now. Yeah. I don't know how long this goodbye is going to be, but I know it's not going to be that long anymore. Those are not easy. The long goodbyes are not easy. Yeah. 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 Mom battled breast cancer for eight years before we lost her. Lost his stuff. He's had a good long life. Mm-hmm. And we're all in agreement with his decisions yeah. and support them. But still, it's yeah. having to live with the day to day.
what she brings to this group and Terry and uh, a lot of a lot of this over the past three weeks is coming into the heart and mind and thoughts over the next over the past couple weeks and over the next little while God. We know that even in the moments of our lives of ash, whether that's a lot or just days, and we know that there are that you exist beyond that cloud of grace. see the supremacy of hope and the supremacy of life and the life hereafter God we just pray for comfort and ease of pain physical, emotional mental, spiritual passing on looks like God whenever that happens and the little passing ons that happen along the way <coughs> that you uh, that you be the constant guide the constant comforter and reminder and that you imbue um, and her family with memories of celebration and reflection. So next week we have another book about death, but it's different. It's different, yes. Quite different. Quite different. Yeah, so it's going to be released by Nibble, Tolkien's book. It's Tolkien's only allegory and it's a direct allegory of his life. And uh, Lewis and Tolkien wrote in an analogy rather than an allegory, because one-to-one is just a riddle. There's, there's, there's not much imagination. So Lewis has one called Pilgrim's Regress. That's his allegory on his life. And Tolkien has one called Leaf by Nickel. It's a fantastic book, especially for artists. Um, it's it's going to be good. We went through it two years ago. It's been long. Yeah, it's been. It, it was before we started coming. Yeah, it was before they. So it's been. It's been oh, a wow. good. Whoa. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we have some, some. We have some new people in here who haven't gone through it. It's just. Uh, and the way the way the way the, the group works is if some if enough people want to do a book we do a book, so everybody agreed to, to do it and so we uh, we do that. Be thinking about what you guys want to do next. One uh, suggestion has come up. Uh, Till we have faces, um, so that if you guys are interested in doing that, or um, have some other things possibly uh, available, I would do Pilgrim's Regress, but it's 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 a tough. It's a good book, but it's a, it's it's a tough.
Yeah. It's, what are your parameters? Uh, so you, usually here's, this is, so the way we've done it the last few years is the spring we deal with theology and philosophy. The summer we deal with cultural issues and cultural books. And then in the fall it's literature. So that's kind of how we, we so go. Have we officially landed on Lord of the Rings for the fall? We have not, but... It was discussed a while back, and I haven't heard if we progressed on that. I'm all for it. I'm all for it, too. Okay, so... I well, just read them last year, so I'm, I'm iffy. But, uh, <laughs> he was talking about that. No need to read it again. Or I can give you the radio audiobook version, which has all the sound effects and soundtrack. In it. Really? Yeah. That's wow. So that would be... Uh, yeah, so I, I would be I would be up for that if you guys want to to do that. We could uh, we could put it to put it to a vote. I know that uh, a few of the people aren't here, but um, I think the majority of us are. So maybe next time, this time I'll get. I've only read the first one, and I've gotten partway through the second one because the battles were eight thousand years long, and I started. A lot of singing. It's a lot of singing in two hours. You like. Uh, okay, let's get some dialogue. There's some dialogue. <laughs> no. Uh, so if uh, so, what what do we so what do we think? Do we think uh, Leaf by Niggles coming up? Till we have faces next? Is everybody in agreement with Till we have faces for the next one? Uh, how long is that one? I'm just curious. I, I don't know. I'm just curious if we've all read most of these books before, or it doesn't matter. No. I mean, I think it'll be fun reason that a lot of us haven't read. But yeah. I'm, well, we could we could we could search for something else to, to read. Um, we have a plethora of things. So, what what else might send us suggestions? Like what? Oh, yes. Yes. I love that idea. Suggestions, and then we'll look at is everybody Lord of the Rings for the fall? That would be roughly August through December. Yay! Show, show of hands. Yes, yeah, so I'm show of hands. Yay! Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I go for discussing it at a later date. I need to pray but. about it. Really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm open anyway. I'm the new guy, so. <laughs> so, indecisive. What about, what about Fifty Shades of Grey? Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> that's a cultural yeah. book. That's the summer. Thing. That's, that's summertime. Summertime. It's another card that shops you go to. All right, so let's say this. Tentatively... We've landed on Lord of the Rings, but if if we decide that we get, you know, in a few weeks, we're like everybody comes through and there's some more discussion on maybe uh, Harry Potter or maybe some other thing, then we'll, we'll look we'll look that direction. All right. Um, Lord of the Rings is a heavy. It's a heavy it is heavy. Yeah. It's But I mean, come on, we, guys, we've done Beowulf. I mean, there's there's not there's not anything we can't handle. Once you it's not a swamp. <laughs> it's not as long, but it's a lot it's more difficult. <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, for those of you who are daunted by the length, I've got a, an audiobook version that was done by a, by a fan, actually, but it's remarkably good. And I, I say that being a really, really, yes, that one. Yeah, it's free. It's insane. It's so good. But he, anyway, it's, it makes it go way faster. Like, I mean, lightning speed compared to reading it. <laughs> It's, it's and you feel it, especially like when he does things like the, the songs and stuff. It's not so it's not so gorgeous. I I usually hate things like that. Like I hate the Narnia, uh, you know, where yep. they're doing the, the kids and they're talking and sound effects yes. and stuff like that. But this, this is good. 
Yeah. Especially since you got the music. Yeah. From Peter Jackson. So be thinking philosophy. Yeah, what were, what were your... your Guidelines. So philosophy, theology. Uh, so that's the spring up until about June. We take a break in summertime. And then June to middle of July, and then we take a break from middle of July to middle of August or September, early September. We take a break there at the end, and then so that's going to be cultural stuff. Anything that's. Uh, you know, we should do a book like. You know, I always want these kind of like seeking Allah, finding Jesus. That would be a great book to do culturally. <coughs> you know what I mean? That's a, that's a fantastic book. Um, and then in the fall, we do strictly literature. And because we've actually, we've done Narnia now, we've done the sci-fi trilogy, and so we're, we're hitting big themes at the, at, at, the, at the outset here, so. We just did that? Yeah. Which one? We, the, the, the sci-fi trilogy. Yeah, we just, we just finished that. It was, it was so fantastic. I'm so sorry, you missed it. Yeah. yeah, me too. No. It's okay. Especially that hideous straight. So yeah. So, so we could look at yeah, um, all kinds of things. But so if you guys have ideas, throw them out. Uh, I, again, you guys sort of control the content. I just I just need everybody to agree or mostly to agree, um, and then I'm willing to work through anything. So. All right. I'm very interested to see what other philosophy books people are interested in, in reading. I read a lot of really stuff that people probably find very dry. So it's always refreshing when people can bring stuff that's, you know, like, not, uh, yeah, just not dry. Uh, <laughs> not, not heady, I don't know. Like, I, I like, I like, in, I like reading, like reading Descartes and Kant and stuff like that. But a lot of people find that to be super boring. So I'd love to hear if anyone has some stuff that they really want to read that's this philosophy that's interesting. That's oh, and even philosophy like this, like the road. Just like I love that stuff. Like the fictional, like fiction stuff that adds that steep to philosophy. Yeah. You know, we'll cool absolutely do that as well. So again, this is this is your group. Um, I just talk a lot. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Me too. All right. So I think we're good. So leave by Nickel next time, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Yep. All right. Further up.